And because of that, we can declare the same thing. If we are in Christ Jesus, we can declare that same thing in our life. It's a privilege to be here with you all today. Uh, thank you, April, for leading those songs. Amy said that it was probably more work for Seth than anybody in that situation. So thanks, Seth, for all of your uh, assistance there. Um, you do a good job with that, and I appreciate all that you do back there, keeping everything in check. It's not something that uh, is one of my talents, but I'm glad that we have people here who can do that. So thank you for that. I'm going to start today with a story about a man who had been in jail. And he had been in jail for most of his life, and he was about 50 years old when he finally got out of jail. And although he had been freed from jail, he didn't really feel like he was free because he was set right back into poverty and didn't really have a job. He was in the California, I believe, around Hollywood area. And one time a man came up to him and said, hey, uh, would you ever consider being an actor? The man said that he was looking for a man who looked like an ex-convict, and he seemed like he fit the bill for it. So, of course, he, he said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll try. So, anyway, in, in the, the set, you know, there was uh, a jail that he had there, but this jail was different because he could actually walk out of the jail. He wasn't kept in that jail. One time he was on set, and he was in that jail room, and he was tired from a long day of, of working and fell asleep in the jail room, and when he woke up, he kind of went into an anxiety panic attack because he realized that he was back in jail. And for a minute, he had forgot that he was free and he could uh, walk out of those, that jail cell. And I believe that that's the same for us. Many of us have been set free by the gospel. But if we're not careful, we act like, we, that, like that hasn't happened, like we haven't been set free. We wake up and we feel this burden and we forget that we are free. If we can't figure out, or sorry, we can't figure out, you know, why this burden feels so heavy upon us. Today, the title of my sermon is Freedom in Christ. And I'd like to, for us to turn to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be reading and focusing on the first four verses. Roman chapter, Romans chapter 8 has been said to be probably one of the best chapters and one of the best books that were written. So Romans chapter 8 is a place that you can turn pretty much any time that you want to and gain encouragement. Romans 8, 1 through 4, all of the themes of the entire chapter are mentioned in some way in these first four verses. The first uh, verse shows us how we are free from the penalty of sin. Let's go ahead and read Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Sin is a destructive and deadly force. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And against that backdrop and against that knowledge, against Paul just saying that, these words in Romans 8.1 are astonishing to us. How can it be that if all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, how could Paul have ever said that? How could he have said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? This verse teaches us the reason for our freedom. We are not free because of anything that we have done or because of the church that we go to. We're free because God has done something to free us from the bondage of slavery. I'd like to read Romans 5.1 and then read Romans 8.1 together. 
Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now in our heads, we believe that. But in our hearts, I don't think we always really see that there is no condemnation. There is therefore now. Let's stop right there at the word now. Today, now, right where you're at, you are not being condemned. And that is the result of your freedom. And this one fact alone is the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. The unbeliever has his judgment day set before him. If he does not repent and receive Christ, one day he will be condemned. But the believer in Christ has his judgment day behind him. For the believer, the judgment day is past and gone, and there is therefore now no condemnation. We don't have any condemnation over us. And then the next word, there is therefore now no. This word no, no condemnation. Condemnation is a forensic term which includes both the sentence and the execution of the sentence. It means to be pronounced guilty and sentenced to punishment. The most significant word in the verse is the word no. In fact, when Paul wrote this verse, in the Greek language, no was the first word in the Greek text. And that was because sometimes they moved words around for emphasis, and he wanted to emphasize this word no. Paul is not saying that we don't have some condemnation. He is saying that we have no condemnation. We don't have limited condemnation. We don't have appropriate condemnation. We don't have calculated condemnation. And we don't even have a little condemnation. We have no condemnation. What does that mean? The meaning of no condemnation is that there is no rejection by God. No matter what you do, he will never leave you. Another meaning is that God is not angry with you when you struggle in life. You give into temptation, then you hate yourself for what you've done. And although you may condemn yourself, God does not condemn you. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God will not punish you for your struggles. You may punish yourself. You may be frustrated with yourself. You may cry out, as Paul did, wretched man that I am. But God doesn't say that. Even when you're being corrected for disobedience, you still are not being condemned. And I want you to get that message today because so many of us live as if we're still in that prison and that condemnation. But if you're a Christian, your sins have been covered by the blood of Christ. You are forgiven. You are free. You are not under condemnation. The condemnation that we deserve has been put fully onto Jesus Christ on the cross. He took the penalty that we deserve. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that truth should liberate us. Freedom belongs to those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? This expression, in Christ Jesus, is one of Paul's favorite expressions. And as a matter of fact, I think he used it in each one of his epistles. The concept of being in Christ isn't necessarily an easy one to grasp, but I want to take our thoughts to Noah and the Old Testament and the ark. When God's wrath rained down on the earth, 
Where was Noah and his family? Were they out in the rain? No, they were safe. Him and his family were safe in the ark. There was complete security. And when the wrath of God comes down on the earth, those who are in Christ Jesus are not affected by his wrath. The Bible says that those who belong to Christ are so intertwined with his life that when he died, we died with him. Everything that was supposed to hit us, even the judgment of God for our sins, instead hit Jesus. He blazed a path against the hostile forces that are seen and unseen. He made a way to glory. He made a way for all to live. We are hidden in Christ. If we have Christ, we have at the same time all that is in Christ. By faith, our sins are no longer our sins, but Christ's sins upon whom God put them. He is the glorious Savior, blessed forever. Everything which Christ has becomes the property of the believing soul. Jesus takes on all of the sins of the believer. Those sins are lost and abolished in him. By faith, the believer's soul is delivered from sins and at the same time clothed with the eternal righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. As we continue to read in Romans 8, we're going to go to verse 2. We see that we are free from the power of sin. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ, Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. We can see there that there's two laws the law of the spirit, and the law of sin and death. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We have something that can give us victory over the law of sin and death. When the Holy Spirit comes into a person, that person is freed from the bondage and delivered to the ways of goodness and love. While we don't always do the right thing, we have the power to do the right thing. The Holy Spirit can lift you up and give you victory And the more that you submit to the Holy Spirit and give him control of your life, the more victory you have over things that want to drag you down. If you guys drive past the Dover Air Force Base, you'll notice these huge planes that sit out there. And there have been times when, you know, the plane is is coming in and landing right as you're there or taking off. And sometimes you you see this massive plane and you wonder, how in the world does that thing ever get up off the ground? But with the, the jets and by following the laws of aerodynamics, that jet can be fly and go up to however many thousands of feet. And that's the same thing that the Holy Spirit allows us to do. Although we're being pulled down by the, the flesh and the plane is being pulled down by gravity, if we follow the laws of aerodynamics, we follow the law of the spirit, we will be able to follow his law. The law of sin and death is the law of Moses. While the law of Moses was good, it was ineffective because the standards are so high that nobody could keep it. Nobody can keep the law of the Bible, uh, the law of Moses. 
And the Bible says that if you break one law, you become guilty of breaking all the laws. So it's either you get 100% on the test or you fail. And no one can do that. That's the law of sin and death. And when you become a Christian, the law of sin and death doesn't necessarily go away until we get to heaven. But we can have the power over it. There's a profound poem that I'd like to mention here. Two natures beat within my breast. One is foul, one is blessed. The one I love, the one I hate. The one I feed will dominate. What nature are you feeding? Because you still have your old nature. That's something that doesn't go away. And when you become a Christian, there's a lot of that pull on your life. Not to live that Christian life. But when you put the law of spirit to work in your life, you will have freedom from the power of sin because the Holy Spirit has come into your life. It's nothing that we did. It's the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.3 shows us how we have freedom from the punishment of sin. For the law could not do, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in flesh. Since Jesus has paid the penalty for your sins, and since you are in Christ, you have been declared innocent from condemnation. You are free. Romans 8.4. I believe that this one shows us how we're free from the practice of sin. It says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. While we can't keep the law in our own strength, when the Holy Spirit comes and you are in Christ, you can fulfill the law's requirements in him. We are able to attain a standard that we could never reach in our own strength. Since uh, I mentioned one poem, I'm going to read another one that kind of helps me explain what, what I'm trying to say here. To run and work the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. The better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. That's exactly what I'm trying to say here. Grace is not simply leniency when you sin. Grace is the power of God in you, not to sin. So we're free from the practice of sin and one day we're going to be free from the presence of sin when we're in the presence of Jesus in heaven. There's two things that I want to encourage you to do. The first thing is start living forgiven. The old person that you were is dead. He was nailed on the cross with Jesus and all of his sins are forgiven and paid for and for full paid for in full on the cross. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live in, by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You are forgiven, and that's great news. The second thing is start living free. When we're set free, it's not to just go and, and do what we want. We're set free to walk after the one who set us free, and serve him and love him. There's a story about Abraham Lincoln that uh, there was a slave girl who was for sale and, and uh, she resented everyone. She was angry at the world. And so Abraham Lincoln bid on the slave girl until he 
was able to win the bid. And the slave girl went to him and said, what do you want from me? And he said, nothing, you're free to go. She said, free to do what I want? Yeah. Free to say what I want? Yeah. And she said, well, then I'm going with you. <laughs> and that's the same thing that we are to do with Jesus. We serve Jesus Christ not out of duty or responsibility, but out of love for the one who has set us free. John 8, 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Galatians 5, 1, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you, don't, that you stay free and don't get tied up in the slavery to the law. Don't tie yourself up again. You're free to be who you are in Christ. One of the things that I want to touch on that steals our freedom, that steals my freedom, is comparison. It's one of the lies of the enemy that he says, you're behind. At this point in your life, you should have it all together. You should be making more money. You should be further along in your career, further along in your walk with Christ, more spiritually mature. You should be better, in better shape physically. Everyone else is light years ahead of you, and you'll never catch up. And some days I fight to, to, or I fail to fight those lies. But when I can fight back and when we fight back with the word of God and we acknowledge that these are lies of the enemy, that the enemy is seeking to discourage me from running my race by turning the focus of my race to other people's races. We see in scripture that Peter also wrestled with this comparison. After Peter denied Christ, Jesus reinstated him and told him how he was going to die as a martyr and a similar death as, as Christ was going, as Christ had died. And then Jesus gave Peter a simple command. He said, follow me. <laughs> and Peter's response was to look over his shoulder at what was going to happen to John. And he said, it says here, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus didn't answer Peter's question about John's calling or compare John's life to Peter's. Instead, he noted that Peter's responsibility was to focus on and follow Christ. And this is our call as well. When we're tempted to look over our shoulders and wonder about how our lives compare to the lives around us or even the lives of people that we see on a screen, we fight by turning our eyes to Christ and following after him. We seek validation about our value and worth from God's word rather than how we measure up to those around us. Each and every one of us have a unique calling within the body of Christ. And God has given us spiritual gifts to help fulfill the work in his, our work in his kingdom. Comparison to others and worrying about if we're behind or ahead of them slows us down from the work that we're called to do, and it hinders the whole body of Christ from functioning together well. 1 Corinthians 12, 26-27, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are, who are the body of Christ and individually members of it. One antidote to worrying about being behind is to remember that we're part of a larger body of Christ, and then go and serve others who need it. 
when we look outside of ourselves and attend to the needs of others, we step out of the narrow focus of comparison in ourselves and participate in God's work in the church and in the world. When I worry about being behind compared to those around me, I'm ultimately trying to judge my own accomplishments and my own life in light of theirs. But the reality is I'm hardly able to see myself rightly, let alone judge myself rightly. The Apostle Paul understood this, and he counted it his own judgments and the judgments of others as nothing. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4 says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Paul was in Christ here. Only God can judge us, and he's not going to judge us based on how our lives measure up to others. He's going to judge us according to how we live with the talents that he has given us. God's ultimate judgment for believers will be based not on our work, but on the work of Jesus Christ, because we are in him. And the truth is that we're never going to measure up to the standard of perfection that God demands if we're not in Christ. We are, though, constantly behind because of our sin. But through the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and his atoning work on the cross, we are able to stand before God and be in Christ and be saved. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we worry about being behind in life, like I said, we're ultimately comparing ourselves to others rather than looking to Christ for fulfillment and direction. But by focusing on Christ, serving others, and leaving judgment to the Lord as we cling to the, fall, to the cross, we can fight the lies of the enemy and walk in freedom from fear and comparison. And I, I need that. I need to walk in freedom from fear, especially with what's been going on in my life recently with my job, which, by the way, I'm, I'm starting my, my new job tomorrow. So the glory is, is the Lord's. And in closing here, to just kind of wrap this all up and to bring it back to, into focus here, if we don't realize that it's because of God's love for us that he set us free through Jesus Christ, and we're never going to walk in freedom. We're always going to be in bondage. If we want to walk in freedom, we must accept the fact that he loves us regardless of our shortcomings and failures. He loved us while we were still sinners. If we want to walk in freedom, freedom and experience the joy of his presence, we must receive his love for us. Psalm 1611, you make known the path of life, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Right now, in closing, I'd like for all of us to just close our eyes and bow our heads. And I want you to imagine looking down at your feet and noticing that they're filthy. This filth represents your sin, your shame, and your guilt. And you feel bound to those feelings. And then Jesus kneels down at your feet with a bucket of soapy water and a rag. And he looks you in the eyes and says, Will you let me love you? As Jesus begins to wash your feet, he says, I have forgiven you. Can you forgive yourself? 
And when he finishes washing your feet, he stands up and hugs you and says, there is now no condemnation. Go and walk in freedom. You stepped into my Egypt. You took me by the hand. You marched me out in freedom into the promised land. Now I will not forget you. I'll sing of all you've done. Death is swallowed up forever by the majesty of your love. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.